Have you ever covered a carpet stain with a rug, ignored a leaky faucet, pretended your half-painted living room is supposed to look like that? Well, you're not alone. We've all got unfinished home projects, but there's an easier way. When you download Thumbtack, it's easier to care for your home from top to bottom. Pull out your phone and in just a few taps, you can search, chat, and book highly rated pros right in your neighborhood. Plus, you'll know what to tackle next because Thumbtack is the app that shows you what to do, who to hire, and when. So say goodbye to all those unfinished home projects and say hello to caring for your home the easier way. Download Thumbtack and start a project today. I'm Margaret Brennan in Washington, and this week on Face the Nation, the standoff between Russia and the U.S. over Ukraine escalates. President Biden vows swift and severe consequences should Vladimir Putin defy him. Plus, dramatic new developments in the January 6th investigation. Tensions in Eastern Europe are at their highest point in years, with Russia's military buildup along Ukraine's borders proceeding despite U.S.-led diplomatic negotiations. We'll get the latest from Secretary of State Antony Blinken. Texas Congressman Michael McCall will be with us, too. He's leading the House Republicans' push for new sanctions to try and halt Russian President Vladimir Putin's aggression. We'll talk with the chairman of the Congressional Committee investigating the January 6th attack, Mississippi Democrat Benny Thompson. Late last week, the Supreme Court ordered the release of 700 pages of White House documents detailing President Trump and his allies' communications leading up to and including the day of the attack. The Omicron wave in the East is subsiding, but the daily death toll from COVID reaches a new high. We'll hear from former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb. Plus, Americans weigh in on the pandemic and the economy as President Biden kicks off his second year in office. It's all just ahead on Face the Nation. Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation. We begin with the tense standoff along the Ukraine border. More than 100,000 Russian troops are now poised to potentially invade from the north, east and south of Ukraine. Russian fighter jets and missiles arrived in neighboring Belarus, where war games are set to begin. Meanwhile, NATO naval exercises are taking place south of Crimea in the Mediterranean, and 90 tons of military aid just arrived in Kyiv from the United States. President Biden is monitoring the situation from Camp David, and he met with his national security team yesterday. Late Saturday, Britain accused Russia of a plot to install a pro-Russian leader in Ukraine as it considers some form of attack. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is just back from consultations with his Russian counterpart, Sergei Lavrov, and he joins us this morning from the State Department. Good morning, Mr. Secretary. These all look like signs of escalation. Well, there is a path of diplomacy and dialogue, uh, which is clearly the preferable one, the most responsible thing to do. There's also the path of Russian aggression and massive consequences for Russia uh, if it engages in that aggression. Uh, and so I tried to uh, make clear both paths in my meeting with uh, Foreign Minister Lavrov in Geneva uh, this week. Uh, and we'll see if we can advance the diplomacy. Uh, but even as we're doing that, uh, we're preparing, uh, building up defenses, building up deterrence if Russia chooses the other path. But if, if Russia's demands are non-starters, what exactly are, are you negotiating? Because Russia's creating these facts on the ground. They are setting the terms here, it seems. Are, are they just using you to buy time or to build a predicate for invasion? 
Well, it's exactly why even as we engage in the diplomacy to explore whether there are ways on a reciprocal basis of building up collective security, answering some of the concerns that Russia may have, Russia answering the many concerns that we have, even as we're doing that, uh, we are building up uh, defense and deterrence. We have rallied uh, allies and partners across Europe uh, in a very intense way over the, uh, the last weeks uh, to make very clear that there would be massive consequences for renewed Russian aggression. We provided more military assistance uh, to Ukraine last year than in any previous year. Right. Uh, we've been going after uh, agents of Russia in, uh, in Ukraine seeking to destabilize the government. I just approved the, uh, the transfer of uh, U.S. origin uh, military technology in, in other countries to Ukraine. So we are proceeding on both paths at the same time. We'll be ready either way. The choice is Vladimir Putin's. But, but what are you negotiating? If Russia's demands are non-starters, I mean, President Biden has already said Ukraine's not going to join NATO anytime soon. Mm -hmm. You've made this offer of reciprocal military exercises. What's left to talk about? Uh, Margaret, uh, we started this, uh, this effort of diplomacy and dialogue about 10 days ago. And in the course of that, uh, Russia has put some ideas on the table uh, uh, in writing to both the United States uh, and NATO. We've been in very close consultation with allies and partners on what they put forward. We are now sharing our own uh, ideas uh, as well as our own uh, deep concerns. And we'll see if uh, in the mix there, there are things that we can do, again, on a reciprocal basis uh, that would actually advance collective security uh, in a way that answers uh, some of what we're hearing and Russia answering a, a lot of what they're hearing from us. And uh, as uh, Russia looks at that and as it considers the massive consequences that would befall it mm -hmm. if it uh, pursues aggression, uh, it will have to make a decision. It will have to uh, put those things in the balance and decide what the best path forward is. I know what the most responsible path forward is. Whether President Putin agrees right. remains to be seen. Well, he hasn't de-escalated, it appears, to date, despite all of what you just laid out. Um, mm -hmm. if, if you are focused on deterrence, why not do what Ukraine is asking you to do and sanction now, take action now. Why keep it as a punitive ma matter after the fact? Well, first we are, as I said, taking action now. We've built up uh, across these many weeks uh, a very strong uh, coalition of countries that has made it very clear it will take very significant action if Russia commits renewed action of right. aggression. Right, and, and Ukraine is saying you could go harder. You could be stronger. We provided, uh, we provided very significant military assistance to Ukraine. Uh, we've been taking action against Russian agents in Ukraine. But as to the sanctions, um, the most important thing we can do is to use them as a deterrent, uh, as a means of dissuading Russia from engaging in further aggression. Uh, once sanctions are triggered, you lose the deterrent effect. So what we're doing is putting together a whole series of actions that would figure into right. President Putin's calculus. Right. But I mean, even President Biden said at his press conference this week, he's, having, he's spent a lot of time trying to get NATO allies to actually be on the same page when it comes to anything short of invasion. I mean, it seems like Putin's easiest strategy would be to, to hit on that weakness. That's how you divide NATO allies. I mean, just yesterday, the, the head of the German Navy had to resign because of pro-Putin statements. This doesn't look like the alliance is completely knit together here. First, we've been very clear that if there is any uh, further uh, Russian uh, aggression in terms of sending Russian forces uh, into Ukraine, there will be a swift, there will be a severe, and there will be a united response from the United States and Europe. Second, we've been uh, equally clear that Russia engages in other tactics short of sending forces into, uh, into Ukraine or other countries, hybrid actions, uh, cyber attacks, efforts to bring a government down. And there, too, I'm very confident, based on the many consultations I've had with European allies and partners, that there will be a swift, calibrated, and also uh, united response. 
Is the fact that you need Iran, need Russia to help you with the Iran negotiations tying your hands? N not in the least. Um, and again, it's important to put this in perspective too, Margaret. Uh, this is about more even than Ukraine and Russia, more even than uh, Europe, Russia, the United States, Russia. It really is and should be a global concern because there are some basic principles of international relations at stake that have helped keep the peace and security right. uh, in Europe for the for the last uh, for the last decades. Well, uh, and though and it goes to very basic principles. Exactly, One but nation Vladimir, can't Putin, the, Vladimir Putin obviously has no regard for those principles and hasn't. I mean, in the past eight years that he's been invading and taking parts of Ukraine. When you get to that bigger, what is this all about question, the State mm. Department said this week they were concerned about the possibility of Russia moving nuclear weapons back into Belarus. I mean, you have high precision equipment being moved towards Ukraine. Is this about something more than just that country? Well, this is exactly why, even as we're engaged in diplomacy, uh, we are very uh, much focused on building up defense, building up deterrence. Uh, both for Ukraine, uh, NATO itself. Uh, NATO itself will continue to be reinforced in a significant way if Russia uh, commits renewed acts of aggression. Uh, all of that is uh, is on the table. But again, when it comes to these principles, Margaret, uh, the, the principle that one nation can't simply change the borders of another by force, uh, that it can't decide for another country, Russia its choices, has. its decisions. Well, that's what, we're that's what we're standing resolutely against. And it hasn't. <laughs> it's tried to say that NATO's door should be shut on Ukraine. It's not. It remains open. We stand by that principle. How significant is the insider threat to President Zelensky and his government? This is, again, part of the, uh, the Russian playbook. It's something we are very focused on. Um, and uh, this is why we've been speaking about it. Uh, we've raised this publicly uh, in recent weeks. We want to put people on notice and on guard that mm -hmm. this is something Russia could do, just as we talked about the possibility of a so-called false flag operation where Russia creates right. a provocation inside of Ukraine, use that as justification uh, to take aggressive action. Before I let you go, does the timing of the Olympics have any effect on Putin's calculus? Russia invaded Georgia during the Olympics back in 2008. Mm -hmm. Any impact here? Uh, you'd have to ask him. Uh, I, I, I don't think so. I think that uh, Russia will um, make its uh, decisions based on uh, President Putin's uh, calculus of what's, uh, what's in their interest. If there's aggression, there'll be massive consequences. So the choice is his. Mr. Secretary, we'll be watching. Thank you for your time today. Thank you. And in one minute, we'll take a look at the new developments in the January 6th attack investigation with Congressman Benny Thompson. Stay with us. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. When you choose Organic Valley, not only will you be enjoying great tasting dairy, you'll help to save over 1,600 small organic family farms who are protecting over 400,000 acres of organic farmland and all the plants and animals that call it home. This is dairy you can feel good about. It's great tasting, high-quality organic dairy, ethically sourced from small organic family farms. To find Organic Valley Dairy near you, visit ov.coop. That's ov.coop. 
We are back now with the chairman of the committee investigating the January 6th attack on the Capitol, Congressman Benny Thompson of Mississippi. Good morning to you, Chairman. Good morning. How are you? Good. Uh, this was a very big week. As we said, 700 pages of Trump administration documents were handed over to your committee at the order of the Supreme Court. Uh, what changes now that you have these in your possession? Well, we're in the process of reviewing the documents. As you know, this was one of the first requests that we made as a committee uh, to the National Archives. We think it's important to our investigation to have this information, and we're glad, glad that the Supreme Court agreed with us today. Is this the last piece of the puzzle here? I mean, how does this affect your timeline for holding public hearings? As you said, you want to begin those in the spring. Well, to be honest with you, we'll review the documents. We'll see uh, what those documents present to us in terms of direction. Uh, we'll see uh, if that information leads us to additional individuals to make requests. Uh, but it's so significant to our investigation to have the documents uh, and executive privilege and other things obviously uh, had no bearing. And, and we're just happy for the Supreme Court. Uh, decision. We'll look forward uh, to reviewing it. And based on the review, uh, we'll take next steps. Mm -hmm. And the spring is still the plan for public hearings? Uh, absolutely. Uh, to be honest with you, uh, as you know, we are reviewing thousands of pages of documents, mm -hmm. hundreds of witnesses. It's taken a, a good bit of time uh, for the committee to put together. And our hearings at this point uh, we expect to be sometime in the spring. In recent days, your committee also uh, took aim at Rudy Giuliani, the former president's attorney. You subpoenaed him. Uh, you asked the president's daughter, Ivanka Trump, to appear by February 3rd. You also subpoenaed two white nationalists. This seems a pretty wide net. What is your strategy? Well, our strategy is get to all the facts and circumstances that uh, brought about January 6th. Uh, we identify the players. Uh, Rudy Giuliani uh, is clearly one of those individuals, uh, the right-wing uh, individual organizations uh, that participated, providing security and other things. They're important. And obviously, uh, Ivanka Trump uh, was a major advisor to the president all along. There are a number of items attributed to what she's been saying. And so we're asking her to come in voluntarily uh, and give us the benefit of what she knows. Will she? Well, we'll wait and see for February 3rd, and uh, we'll go after that. Uh, in, in terms of Rudy Giuliani, who we just mentioned you subpoenaed, um, there was another news development in terms of re public reporting. Republican electors in at least five states put together uh, essentially fake slates of the electors. In states that Joe Biden won, they handed over these slates saying instead that Donald Trump won them. And according to what Mark Short, the former chief of staff to Vice President Mike Pence, uh, he was presented with letters by Rudy Giuliani on behalf of state legislators um, to, this, to this end, trying to persuade the former vice president not to certify the election. Do you know who was orchestrating this effort? I mean, this is a pretty significant claim. Well, we do know that some of the information we've received from National Archives include uh, proposed plans for doing certain things. 
if we, uh, after review of those plans, determine uh, specifically individuals who did this, uh, we will make the referral to the Justice Department. Uh, we're not a criminal uh, entity. Uh, that's the Department of Justice. Uh, but we are concerned that documents have been filed uh, saying they were uh, individuals responsible for conducting and certifying elections, and they're not. Uh, and when you falsify a document, in most instances, that's a criminal act. Mm-hmm. There was also uh, another story, significant. Politico published the text of a draft executive order that had been presented to President Trump in December of 2020 to have the defense secretary seize voting machines in battleground states. And multiple news organizations have now reported this. Um, do you intend to go to the attorney general, Bill Barr? Uh, to ask him about this. I mean, how do you follow up on an uh, on this kind of allegation and the paperwork to back it up? Well, yes, we do. To be honest with you, we've had conversations with the former attorney general already. Uh, we've talked to Department of Defense individuals. Uh, we are concerned uh, that our military uh, was part of this big lie on promoting uh, that the election was false. So if you are using the military uh, to potentially seize uh, voting machines, even though it's a discussion, uh, the public needs to know. We've never had that before. And so any of these individuals uh, who are participating in trying to stop the election, the duly election of a president, uh, and if we can document it, uh, we will share it with uh, the public. I just want to follow up on something you said. Do you have proof that there was someone inside the United States military working on this premise of actually we seizing have, voting machines? Well, we have information uh, that between the Department of Justice, a plan uh, was put forth uh, to potentially seize voting machines in the country and utilize uh, Department of Defense assets uh, to make that happen. Something beyond this draft executive order. There was actually an operational plan? Uh, the, the, well, no, not an operational plan, but just the draft itself okay. is, is reason enough to believe that it was being proposed. Our job is to get to the facts and circumstances of how far did they go. Uh, we do know that a potential uh, person was identified to become the attorney general of the United States who would communicate with certain states uh, that the election uh, on their situation had been fraudulent and not to produce certified documents. Well, we understand that. So we will move forward on that investigation and we will look and see uh, specifically how far that plan went. That's incredible. Uh, will the former attorney general, Bill Barr, testify to you? Will you seek out other members of the military to clarify some of what you just laid out here? Well, part of our plan is to continue to engage all those individuals that we uh, deem necessary and important to our investigation. Uh, some we'll talk to, some we'll do in deposition under oath. Others will offer uh, hearing opportunities. But uh, I can assure you 
as we develop this information, uh, we will clearly uh, present it to the public. Uh, we plan at this point to have a series of uh, public hearings uh, mm -hmm. showing uh, the use of federal assets, Department of Justice, uh, Department of Defense, uh, and other agencies to actually uh, stop the duly election yeah. uh, of a president. So uh, we'll do it in, in due time. Uh, quickly, uh, Stuart Rhodes, the head of the far-right group, the Oath Keepers, was charged with seditious conspiracy by the Department of Justice this week. Um, as part of that, it became public that he was apparently stashing weapons, waiting for the White House to invoke the Insurrection Act. Is any part of that connected to what you just laid out? Well, Stuart Rose is one of the persons that we identified uh, as a committee we wanted to talk to. Uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, we're not part of the criminal indictment. Okay. Uh, that's a separate investigation. I understand. Chairman, thank you for your time this morning. And we're back with the top Republican on the Foreign Affairs Committee in the House, Congressman Michael McCall of Texas. Good morning to you. Oh, good morning. Thanks for having me. Lots to decipher with you. But first, I want to start on what we just heard from the chairman, because that seemed fairly extraordinary, what he just laid out. Uh, he says that there is reason to believe, and the committee has possession of documents uh, about this plot, uh, essentially to seize voting machines that involve members of the military, that he's already been in touch with the former attorney general. What is your reaction to this? Well, you know, my reaction, it was a dark day, January 6th. Uh, I want the truth to come out. Um, I think this committee has been somewhat politicized, um, but the truth should come out. And I think the Department of Justice has been conducting an investigation. I worked at DOJ for almost 15 years, mm -hmm. and I, I trust their invest. I, in fact, called upon them to investigate this. So I'm hopeful that uh, the truth will come out on this. The allegations are very serious. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I do know that you are endorsed by the former president, Trump. So this mm -hmm. has to be a little uncomfortable to hear these kind of allegations. Uh, of course. I mean, uh, when an executive uh, commander in chief, uh, it, and these are allegations. I, I don't think the executive order was ever uh, uh, followed through with or right. signed. Right. It was a draft, but it was discussed yeah. in the Oval Office. Right. I think it should come out, the truth, uh, obviously. Uh, I always think the truth should come out. Well, uh, we will continue to watch the committee on that point. Um, on Russia, you heard the secretary say that if he <clears throat> uses the leverage of sanctions now, he gives up an important bit of deterrence. Do you disagree? I, I completely disagree. I think this has been a passive deterrence, right? I mean, I don't, I don't see Putin changing his course of action. It's getting very aggressive. Uh, the noose is tightening around Ukraine. President Zelensky, as you mentioned, said he wants the sanctions now. Mm -hmm. uh, we can always remove the sanctions if we, it deters uh, Putin's bad behavior. But if you uh, reward that and there are no consequences, it's going to continue. And I think all along, there are so many things we can be doing to provide deterrence if we don't do this, Margaret. The plan of action that I've seen and in the classified space as well is very specific, very aggressive in its timetable. Uh, if we don't do something strong right now, um, I'm afraid that he's going to invade Ukraine, which will have, as, as the secretary talked about, he's right, and I think you and I did, it will have global ramifications right. here. 
When I pressed the secretary on that, he twice said that the U.S. is going after Russian agents in Ukraine. Is the U.S. doing something now that the rest of us just don't know about, or is he just talking about sanctions? Now? Well, we know that the, uh, the the Brits released this intelligence report that the Russians are trying to you know depose uh, Zelensky and put their own leader. We know that they're right on the border with Belarus. They're going to do joint exercises with precision weapons and aircraft. Uh, we know that uh, Kiev is right. Kiev is right there. I think they, they, they have three forces, one Kiev, one on the Donbass, and the other one Black Sea, Crimea. Uh, this is a buildup we've never seen before. Um, and if with no deterrence, it's going to happen. Let's take a break and continue to talk about this on the other side of it. We'll be right back with a lot more Face the Nation. Don't go away. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. A new year is a new chance to focus on you. You're probably already picturing yourself struggling at the gym, but not all self-help has to mean suffering. Squeeze.com is making it easier than ever to elevate your wellness by delivering a juice cleanse right to your doorstep. It's the easiest juice cleanse you'll ever do that may aid in weight loss, eliminating bloating, clearing your skin, boosting your energy levels, improving sleep, and breaking bad eating habits. Meet all your health goals from the comfort of your home. Get free same-day local delivery or fast free delivery nationwide with code WONDERY today at Squeezed.com. Welcome back to Face the Nation. We continue our conversation now with Congressman Michael McCall, the lead Republican on the House Foreign Affairs Committee. Uh, let's pick back up on the issue of Russia. We're talking about immediate action, potentially. Congress is going away for a week. There, there are bills before the Senate. I know you're working on one in the House. I mean, do you have that kind of time to, to play with legislation, or do you need something uh, in terms of a tool set to hand the president more quickly? Well, time is of the essence. I'm working on a bill I've introduced to get it. We're getting uh, uh, key Democrats on board. It would be an assistance package of lethal aid to Ukraine. That's important, but what's also important is the message of deterrence. We need joint exercises in Poland, the Baltic states, Romania, Bulgaria, to show Putin that we're serious. Right now, he doesn't see we're serious, and that's why the buildup is taking place. I think this all started, Margaret, with Afghanistan and the unconditional surrender to the Taliban. When he saw weakness, weakness invites aggression. We saw that with Chamberlain and Hitler. You know, Reagan talked about peace through strength. And right now, uh, whether it's... In, in, the thing is, this is not just about Ukraine. It's about China. It's about President Xi in, in Taiwan. It's about the Ayatollah and the bomb. It's about North Korea that just fired off two missiles. They said were, you know, these, uh, you know, these hypersonic weapons. I, I think this has broader global ramifications. We're seen as weak right now, but because of President Biden, uh, his his comments about a limited. Mm -hmm. 
that a limited invasion was somehow acceptable and that NATO was divided? I think one thing he said was true is that NATO is divided. And that's Putin's goal is to divide and weaken NATO. Mm -hmm. He's accomplished some of that. Well, as you know, I mean, this has been going on since 2014. And during the Trump administration, there was some mm -hmm. accommodation, at least in language, from the former president on, on whether or not there were hard lines. So Vladimir Putin has been getting kind of a mixed message for some time here. How do you change that? When, when President Biden and you just heard Secretary Blinken send that message that they're willing to have reciprocal restrictions on military exercises or on placement of missiles. Is that kind of accommodation weakness to you? Well, you know, look, let's talk about Nord Stream 2. Biggest concession ever. This is you a know, potential gas pipeline from Russia to it's Germany. Like, you know, Putin's pipeline into Europe. Congress passed bipartisan mandatory sanctions to stop that from happening. We have a presidential waiver. That's very normal. We never dreamed that a president of the United States would waive that in the national interest of the United States. How is that in the interest of the United States to allow Putin to dominate Europe's energy supply? Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, shutting down Keystone and not allowing the United States to be the leader in energy, LNG, which is cleaner than Putin's dirty energy, from getting into uh, the region. I think this president has made so many concessions with nothing in return. Mm -hmm. That's why Putin smells weakness. He's wanted this, as you and I talked about, for a long time. Yeah. It's his legacy issue. Right. And if we don't provide that deterrence, he will go in. Well, you know, the Germans have sort of been uncomfortable with the idea of moving on Nord Stream, and the administration is saying they're just, they're waiting on that. Um, on the other risk here, we have midterm races coming up. In 2018, the United States took offensive action against Russia to stop them from meddling in those races. Do we need to see something like that in 2022? You know, I don't want to see um, Russia overturning Ukraine's government. Uh, you know, I don't want to see any foreign nation adversary getting involved in our elections. But again, pointing from Afghanistan forward, we have sent a message to our adversaries that we are projecting weakness, not strength. One thing Reagan talked was peace through strength. Going back to, to Chamberlain Hitler. If we're projecting weakness, it only invites aggression. Historically, you know that. Mm -hmm. And this is exactly, I mean, I've talked to the administration. I yeah. want to stop this from yes. happening, but I'm very concerned about the aggression that I'm seeing. Okay. Congressman, thank you very much. We turn now to the COVID pandemic, now entering its third year. Dr. Scott Gottlieb is the former FDA commissioner and sits on the board of Pfizer. Good morning to you. Dr. CDC says case numbers are coming down. You said we'd be back in person in the office in February. Do you stick by that timeline? Yeah, I think that timeline's still intact. You're seeing a lot of businesses make decisions to do return to work March 1st because I think they want to give themselves a cushion, especially having been surprised before. You're seeing cases come down very rapidly in the East Coast, the states that were the early outbreak states, Florida, the Mid-Atlantic, New York City, Chicago, Los Angeles. This virus is spreading to the Midwest. You're seeing cases pick up in states like Montana, Wisconsin, um, Minnesota, uh, Wyoming, Idaho. So it's not done yet across the United States. There's still states that are probably in the thick of this. They have another week, maybe two weeks to go until they peak and start to come down. But in places like New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Washington, D.C., you're seeing cases decline very rapidly. And mm -hmm. I think that thesis around a February return is intact. Nearly a million children were infected with COVID in the last week, according to the American Academy of Pediatrics. A million. 
Uh, is it too soon for mask mandates to be lifted in schools, as the governor of Virginia just ordered? Look, I think it is too soon to do that because a lot of schools have built their preparations around the use of masks. And whatever we want to say about the benefit that masks are providing, it's providing some benefit. And a lot of schools that couldn't implement social distancing, couldn't implement testing or relying on masks as their only tool. So to withdraw it right at the peak of the epidemic, I think is imprudent. We should wait. I think within two weeks we'll be able to make that decision. But this whole COVID epidemic, I think, has been colored by the fact that policymakers have not prescribed clear endpoints to when they're going to withdraw these measures. I think parents are willing to tolerate masks in schools, recognizing it's very disruptive to children if there is an end date to it, if it's clearly prescribed when we're going to use these masks and when we're going to withdraw them so they don't disrupt two years of a ch child's socialization and school activity. So I think policymakers stepping in and saying, look, we're going to put an endpoint on this when prevalence declines to a certain level and in sticking to it is is very mm -hmm. prudent. But to do it in the setting of the peak of this epidemic, um, I think, puts a difficulty on schools that have based their mitigation around the use of masks. What's that benchmark in your mind? Well, the benchmark we prescribed last summer was around 10 cases per 100,000 people per day when we withdraw all mitigation. I think you can lean in and prescribe a higher benchmark when it comes to children in schools, because the first thing that we should do is try to withdraw these measures in the school setting. If you're going to implement masks among adults in congregate settings in a township, you want to lean in and try to withdraw it in the mm -hmm. schools first and try to preserve as much of that environment for learning as you can. Dr. Fauci raised a lot of hopes this week uh, for parents of young children uh, like me, uh, whose kids aren't yet eligible for vaccines. Um, he said for children under five, you may see a vaccine available in the next month or so. You've been saying sometime between April and June. Which is it? Well, I think a month is probably premature. Remember, the reason why this was extended was because the vaccines in the clinical trial that Pfizer did, I'm on the board of Pfizer, as you know, um, Pfizer tested a low dose in the children. They tested a number of different doses and chose the lowest possible dose because at a lower dose, you're going to have less reactogenicity, less vaccine-related side effects like fevers and injection site reaction. You want to make sure the vaccine is very tolerable in young kids. But probably because of that low dose, we saw less vaccine effectiveness. There were more infections in the children who were vaccinated than what we saw in a comparable group of 16 to 25-year-olds. So the decision was made by regulators working with Pfizer to extend that trial to look at a third dose to see if that third dose restored the efficacy. In the setting of Omicron, where the vaccines are providing some protection against infection, about 50%, so you're 50% less likely to get infected with Omicron if you're fully vaccinated with a booster, the primary utility of the vaccine nonetheless is the protection against severe disease, hospitalization. And in that regard, getting any vaccine into young kids probably is going to afford them a measure of protection by getting baseline immunity into them. So any reconsideration of the vaccine timeline right now by regulators is probably based on that. But I mm -hmm. think even if the FDA were to reconsider the approval of the vaccine, you're looking at a timeline when this would get pushed at best perhaps to into late March because you'd have to re-adjudicate the data, have an ad com, get the vaccine out into the supply chain. By the time that happens, I think you're looking at a March date, maybe late March. So I don't think this is something that's going to happen in the next month. Right now, Pfizer and the FDA are looking very closely at the data that's accrued to see if they can make a decision around this. We'll still have to wait. Um, you know, doctor, because this is so highly transmissible, this Omicron variant, there are a lot of people who are coming back from infection. How vulnerable or protected are they? Because I'm getting this sense that people think they're bulletproof. 
Yeah, look, what we've seen from the data is that if you get infected with any one of these variants, you probably have a period of immunity that's quite robust. We don't know how long it is, but you have a period of immunity that's quite robust, and you probably have as good, if not better, immunity against that subsequent variant as if you were just vaccinated and never infected. So people who are infected with Delta probably have a pretty robust immunity against Delta, and perhaps it's as good, if not better, than if they were just vaccinated and never infected with Delta. But what we notice that is the vaccine's provide the broadest possible immunity. Mm -hmm. So people with Omicron might have good protection right. against Omicron. They probably don't have as good protection against Delta. Okay, which is why these mutations and these new variants are something to watch. Thank you very much, doctor. Uh, coming up next, a, a closer look at what some Americans are thinking about COVID in the economy. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. During the course of the pandemic, we've been listening to Americans through Zoom to get their thoughts on COVID, the economy, and how the government is handling it all. On Friday, we checked back in with six of them. Who feels like we are in a better place now than we were a year ago? Show of hands. No one believes we're in a better spot now. Unfortunately, I don't think that our public um, servants are actually, they're kind of on a lag with the science. I was not vaxxed, had COVID. I didn't even know I had it. I had the sniffles for two days and body aches. And if I hadn't lost my sense of smell, I wouldn't have known the difference. It's clearly not um, as horrible as perhaps it was described. For some, it has been, and I'm very sorry for that. But um, for a lot of us who do take care of ourselves and everything and, and are younger, we need to go in and live our lives. And public science has not caught up with that yet. How many people know someone who has died from COVID or been hospitalized with COVID? So Mildred, you raised your hand there. Do you have a different perspective when you hear the descriptions of saying it, it's not that bad? I can't really say that it's not that bad. I think it is bad. Um, I think this whole country is suffering from COVID fatigue at this point. Um, mm -hmm. It has become um, confusing and depressing. Um, I'm an elderly person myself and um, a cancer survivor. And that's one of the reasons why I went ahead and took the vaccine and the booster. You originally told us a year or so ago that you you didn't want to be a guinea pig. You had concern about taking the vaccine. What changed your mind? Uh, a lot of my friends who had gone ahead and taken the vaccine, and I saw where they had done well. Um, and I want to be around, you know, there's never any guarantee, but I want to be around to see my grandkids. So 
why don't you think now that you have that tool in your disposal, why don't you think we're in a better place? Well, I don't know if we are in a better place as a country. We're, we're still very divided on this whole COVID thing. Go ahead, Jill. I was of the opinion that when people got vaccinated, they would let their guard down. They would go out and congregate. And I'm a football fan and it makes my skin crawl when I watch the games and I see so many people together because that's exactly what it did. They got vaccinated. They thought we're fine. We can go out and do all the things we normally do. And that's the dangerous part. Now I'm unvaccinated, but I wouldn't dream of not wearing a mask. The things that I see going on in America, it makes my skin crawl because people think we're out of the woods and we're not. So when you hear President Biden say this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated, Jill, do you feel like he's talking about you? Not at all. Not at all, because I work with someone who's vaccinated and has had the booster and they've had COVID three times. So I'm not buying that. Jorge, you you are nodding your head in full agreement with Jill. Oh, 100 percent. I think that's part of the problem that we've had is the misinformation. Actually, uh, studies have already shown that cloth masks are not effective at all. That's right. The quality of your mask, let me, let me, your, let me, the quality of your mask matters a lot. The quality of the mask. And they didn't say that at first. They said, oh, just wear a mask and you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. So I think when when your leader is saying one thing and 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 then it's not true, um, that begin you begin to question that. People that don't want to get vaccinated have their own reasons. And I don't think it has anything to do with President Trump. And to your point, former President Trump has gotten vaccinated and boosted, he says. Um, so he has now endorsed it. But Chelsea, jump in here. How are you feeling? Are you feeling more confident these days? No, not really. I'm still worried about getting sick. You know, I'm fully vaxxed. I got my booster. I wear my mask. Um, But I agree, like the messaging has been really confusing. Um, And I don't blame people at all who haven't gotten vaccinated because the story was the pandemic will be over. But the truth of the matter is people do still get sick, even though they're vaccinated. So I think that things are just as bad as they were when the pandemic started. And Jorge, walking into the classroom, you were concerned as a teacher about getting exposed. I mean, do do you feel like the safety guidelines for classrooms are clearly communicated? In Texas, we are. We don't wear masks. We don't, you don't have to get a vaccine. Get a vaccine if you want. It's you take care of yourself. And, And that's how it should be. You have got to have your own personal convictions and you follow them. If you choose not to get vaccinated, then you're choosing to live with those consequences. The things that I've done thus far, it's protected me and I've not gotten sick. And if I do, that's something I have to live with. But just right now, I just feel like I have a choice and my choice is just to not do it. We are a year into unified democratic control of the House, of the Senate, of the executive branch. Do you feel any differently? Do you feel that Washington understands what all of you are experiencing out there. Beth is shaking her head no. I mean, so many of you are. But have you always felt that way? Or is there a new level of sort of skepticism about Washington? Yeah, I think so. I I really had such high hopes for this administration when they came in. And um, it's just been one disaster after another. Um, Afghanistan, inflation, 
Take your pick. I just don't understand. I thought this was going to be a president for the people of the people. And I just feel like it's one, you know, hurdle after another that we all have to climb. Chelsea, I saw you raise your hand. I do agree that fundamentally for me, nothing has changed. I think that I am more skeptical now. My life has not improved. COVID has not improved. Biden has not, you know, stuck to any of his promises. Um, I don't think any anyone in Washington is really for working people. And that has been mm -hmm. so clear this year. That point on working people, there has been at least $2 trillion pumped into the economy. There have been child care tax credits. When President Biden took office, he sent out those $1,400 checks. There's been all this money pumped in with the intention of helping working people. Are you saying it just hasn't made a difference in your life? Um, certainly not in my life personally. Sandy, do you feel that way? I mean, I'm looking at a $300 tax credit per month for each child. Um, the $1,400 checks that President Biden handed out. I'm looking at all these lists of things that were pumped out there with the intention of helping everyday people. Do you agree with Chelsea that it just hasn't made a difference in your life? It really hasn't made a difference at all, at least in my life. Uh, sure, it may have helped some people temporarily, but uh, ultimately what everything's caused with all this money pumped into the economy has caused inflation. Well, uh, economists would tell you a lot of that has to do with just the shocks from the pandemic. If, if you got a shot, if you went out and got the vaccine because it would help the economy, you know, is that an effective selling point for you versus telling you you're going to get sick or not? That doesn't help the price of bacon right now. Um, can I see a show of hands? Do any of you feel like the economy has gotten better in the past year? <laughs> All of you are saying no, even though the jobs picture is brighter, even though the direction of the economy and recovery is happening. Are you all concerned about rising prices and inflation? I go to the grocery store now, I'm, I'm paying double the amount that I was paying, um, you know, even a few months ago. Uh, everything's gone up. My granddaughter loves bacon, by the way, and I can barely afford bacon. <laughs> and Whose fault do you think that is? I mean, it's the Federal Reserve that controls interest rates. It's their job to control inflation. Do you blame the president? Do you blame the central bankers? Or do you blame, what, just Congress? I know the Federal Reserve is talking about, they're talking about uh, increasing the interest rate. Um, but I think it's a combination. Um, Congress is worthless. Oh, you don't even want me to start on Congress. <laughs> I actually do, because this is one of the things. In President Biden's first year, one of the things they say they are most proud of is this historic investment in infrastructure and the fact they got Republicans and Democrats to sign on to it. Even with that, you still say they're worthless. I do, because there's so much more that needs to be done. Like what? What do you need? Um, I need for the price of bacon to go down. <laughs> How about that? I need for the government to stop spending so much money on um, things that are worthless. That like are what? Gonna, that are not going to benefit the people. I mean, they're sending out 
N95 masses, you know, to cover people's faces. Somebody's making it and somebody's making money off of that. You know, I, you know, that, to me, that's crazy. They're also sending out COVID tests mm -hmm. um, for people to do COVID testing at home. Waste of money. The administration would say these are the things that will help keep the economy going because then you won't have to stay home if you don't catch COVID. It takes 12 days to get the test in the mail, another 12 days to get your results. That's 24 days. <laughs> well, these at-home tests, are supposed to be quick, just a few minutes. Here's what's wrong with our administration. They, like she was saying, here you are sending all these tests, sending the masks. So I'm going to put more money into this economy. I'm going to keep spending more money and, and it's going to fix everything. No, inflation is going to hit eight, nine percent. We're going to be back to Jimmy Carter. And we know what happened to Jimmy Carter. Um, you can't keep doing that. I almost feel like the administration came in and said, you know what, we're going to do everything opposite of what Trump did. There will be more of our Listening to America segment Monday on our CBS News streaming network during Red and Blue. And the full conversation will be on our website at facethenation.com. That's it for us today. Thank you all for watching. Until next week. For Face the Nation, I'm Margaret Brennan. Today's guests were Secretary of State Antony Blinken, Mississippi Democratic Representative Benny Thompson, Texas Republican Congressman Michael McCall, and former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Shelley Schwartz. Face the Nation originates from CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com. And you can follow Face the Nation and CBS Radio News on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Face the Nation's also on our digital network, CBSN, at 12 p.m. and 4 p.m. Eastern Time every Sunday. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com slash survey.